So we're wrapping up our series. We need to talk today on Father's Day. Since we started talking about all these hard things on Mother's Day, uh, it kind of planned out that we were going to end our talks on Father's Day. Um, now, quite honestly, this week has been, I, I've been preaching to myself all week. And if I'm the only one that's being preached to today, then, then God did something. Because this message that he placed on my heart has walked with me all week. And it's been a very, I guess how I should put it, is a humbling experience. But for the men in the room, it's probably going to be a harder message for you to hear. So women, you're kind of off the hook for a little bit for one week. Um, but uh, it's been my prayer throughout this week and even today as I walked through um, all of the chairs, prayed over each chair as I normally do, that God would speak to you in a way that you can't ignore. That you would hear this message and it would carry with you throughout your week as it did with my week. But as scripture says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Um, we are gonna start off in Joshua because that's where we started off on Mother's Day. Mother's Day, we talked about Joshua and the 12 stones. And even though we're not gonna camp out on this passage, I wanted to have some unity between Mother's Day and Father's Day. That as parents, we're wanting to leave a legacy for our kids. As grandparents, you're trying to leave a legacy for your grandkids. And um, I've had two amazing parents to leave a legacy for me that will carry on into the next generation of Hensley boys. And uh, the goal is that he continues to pass on these stones. So I'm gonna start with that same passage, but again, we're, this is really the only time that it's gonna be unified because fathers and mothers are different. Can we get an amen on that, right? Fathers and mothers are different. But we do have somewhat of the same goal. We're trying to leave a legacy while we're still here on earth. So Joshua chapter four, verses one through nine says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men among the people, one from each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place that you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites. And as the Lord told Joshua, they carried them over with them to their camp when they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests called carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they are there to stay. Heavenly Father, as we begin hearing your word spoken today, Lord, may it not be my word, but your word. Lord, as you have 
placed this message on my heart this week, and it's transformed so much about how I view life, how I view myself as a man. Lord, I pray that you would do the same for those men in the room who on Father's Day, they don't really enjoy it that much. Or on Father's Day, they, they don't really feel confident in their fatherhood. Or maybe they're past it and they're seeing how many fathers are struggling in our generation today. Lord, I pray that you would show them something, that you'd speak a word to their heart to give them that confidence, to let them know that they are doing a good job, but also that there's still some work to be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I was preparing this message, I really, on Father's Day, I, I wanted to look at what it meant to be a father, what it meant to be a man of God. Because if I can go to the root cause of being a good man of God, it will flood into my husbandhood, if that's even a word, I'm making it up. That's a word now. Husbandhood. So I'll be a better husband to Chloe. If I'm a good man of God, then I'll be a good husband to Chloe and I'll be a good father. And maybe it's just because it's hitting me different because I'm like about to be a father. I know some of you said happy Father's, to, or Father's Day to me and that's fine. Um, I know some people are like, this is Father's Day for you. I don't think I'll feel like it until next year uh, when I can actually hold my child in my hands. But... Um, Either way, Chloe says it's Father's Day and she's not here, so I have to extend that. It's Father's Day for me too. But I, I wanted to look at, because I wanna be a great father uh, like my dad was to me. And I started looking into this and this is where it really started to hit me hard. But um, I'm gonna ask you a, a question. Can I be honest with you for just a few minutes? Not that have a, a choice in this. I got the microphone. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to be honest with you anyways. Uh, but I'm really excited to be here. Um, seeing Chloe pregnant it is great. I love seeing her pregnant. But I, I'm so excited for my son to be here so I can finally hold him in my arms. Uh, I'm so excited to teach him how to play soccer uh, to the best of my ability and so that he can live out my soccer dreams that I never got fulfilled. And I'm kidding about that, but he'll probably wanna play basketball in which I know nothing about helping you play basketball. But I, I wanna teach him how to hunt. I wanna teach him how to, to work on cars. I wanna teach him how to be a godly man just like my dad did for me. But at the same time, I'm terrified <laughs> because I also know that I could greatly mess up all of my kids not just because of how I treat them, how I act, uh, any of those things, how I parent them, but simply because they are going to be pastor's kids and they didn't choose it, right? I, I kind of chose that for them. They're gonna be pastor's kids and from a pastor's family, I know the pressure that are on pastor's kids and it's different, uh, I would imagine. I mean, I was a pastor's kid my entire life, but just talking to other people, it's a different type of pressure than other kids face. And even in the crazy world that we're living in, I, I, I don't want all of that for him, but I know that he's gonna have it. And I, the reality is that I just want to leave a good legacy for our baby boy and for our kids. Now I say kids because we plan to have more, not because there's more than one in Chloe's womb. Um, if there is one, 
He is the best hide-and-seek player in the entire world, and we have a hide-and-seek champion if there are two babies in her belly. But there's not. So um, according to the ultrasounds, there's only one. Um, I would be thrilled to have twins, by the way. Um, I just don't think Chloe necessarily wanted twins right off the bat. But um, I, I want them to remember what God did through my life. I, I want them to have the same hope and faith in Christ that I do. And, and um, like, like what I feel like my parents did with me was uh, their, their ceiling was my floor. Right? I want that for my kids. I, I want to be able to, to go beyond where... Uh, I want him to go beyond where I could even reach. But being a dad is different than being a mom. Just like there's a high calling for moms, there's a high calling for fathers too. Now the problem with much of our society is that there's less guys who are accepting their high calling to be a father. They're, they're, aren't accepting their high calling to be a man of God. Instead, they're being boys who can shave and boys of the world who call themselves men. So for the rest of our time here, this is kind of how this message is going to go. The majority of it is going to give you an overview of God's original design for men. And towards the end, about the last five-ish five minutes of the message, we'll be going through some of the stumbling blocks of why we can never achieve God's perfect design for us and what struggles we face, just like we did on Mother's Day a little bit with, with struggles that mothers and women tend to have. We're gonna do struggles that fathers and men tend to have. And then we'll, we'll end on what to do about it and the hope that we all have as humanity. But um, also when I'm saying man, I know sometimes in scripture you read man and it means mankind. Man, mankind as a whole. Uh, some translations will translate it as brothers and sisters when they know that it's including all of creation and not just the male. But when I'm, when I'm talking about male, when I'm talking about men, I'm not talking about biological, right? Because my baby boy who is in Chloe's belly right now has a penis, but that doesn't mean that he's a man, right? I got your attention, all right. It doesn't mean that he's a man. When he is delivered sometime in September or late August, no one's going to look at, at baby Truett and say, that's a man. They might say it's a boy. He's a male. They're not going to say man. And the reality is, is that there's a lot of people, a lot of uh, males in this world who are living out their boyhood all through their adult lifehood. All throughout their adult life, they're looking and they're acting just like a boy instead of acting like a man, and that's what's destroying society. So, just to clarify, just because you're the gender male does not mean that this applies to you, right? You might have to become a man before this applies to you. That being said, for the women in the room, I'm gonna be primarily talking to men, uh, but I still don't want you to check out because it's important for you too. You need to know how God designed us for two reasons. If you're a wife, part of your job is to hold your husband accountable to the design of God, to hold him accountable and say, hey, that's not what God's original design is. That's not what his purpose is for you. You need to, you need to move away from that. If you're single, you need a healthy view of what a godly man looks like. 
so that when you date, when you seek to find a husband, you don't set the standard too low because any moron can step over a low standard. But men have such a higher standard that they have to climb over to reach you. This will keep you from um, a lot more heartbreak than what's needed. This is gonna keep you and help you see whose boys, whose men, who are gonna provide and protect you and who's gonna treat you terribly. Now, stumbling blocks that we're gonna face are important for you, ladies, because you also need to develop some grace for us. We will fail you often because we're human. Just like you fail us often, we're gonna fail you often. Not that you needed to remind it of that or that you needed this extra knowledge, but it's for free. You're, we're gonna fail you, but you need to help us become the man that God has designed and created us to be. And we also need you to encourage us because if you're just nagging us all the time, we're not gonna listen to you. Right? That's just part of being a man. That's, part of, that's one of the sins of being a man. But you need to also encourage us, give us healthy criticism to where we can do better, to where we can serve you as the wife, as we can serve our family, our community, but then also tell us what we're doing right so that we can continue to do those things right. Right? I know it, sometimes, ladies, it's frustrating to talk to men because it just seems like it goes over our head because it does. It's part of our brokenness that it just goes over our head and it seems like we're not listening. We need to be told multiple times. So you also have to have some patience for us. But what was God's original design for men? Let's look at Genesis chapter two before sin entered the world. Genesis chapter two, starting in verse four, it reads, this is the account of the heavens and the earth in which they were created when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on earth. No plant had yet sprung for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. There was no one to work the ground. That's important. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and that man became a living being. Skipping down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So that leads to our first purpose, our first design is to work with God to carry out the healthiness of our creation that we've been given and for human flourishing. When you look at this, even in the Garden of Eden, when we talk about heaven, when we talk about the end of time, it's Eden restored. So we can often look back at Genesis 1 and 2 and camp out there to see what heaven might look like, what it might look like without sin, without death, without anything. And what it looks like is men working. Men were designed to work with God for human flourishing, for human development. So for those of you who um, are men that just can't seem to stop working because you get so bored, because like just sitting around, you get so bored, heaven is going to be a lot of work, but you won't get tired. Your back won't hurt. You, you won't feel tired at the end of the day. You will be continually renewed and you'll never feel any pain. You'll never feel any tiredness, hurt, achiness. None of it will happen. And you'll be able to work 
for as long as you want to. Right? I, I know for a long time, I thought of heaven as like this place where I'd be able to just sit down in my mansion over the hilltop and like watch over creation, praise God for the rest of eternity. And I realized as I was walking through this week that that would have been hell for some of you men. Right? You would have been like, well, I have to do something with my hands. I have to work. I have to do something. Well, that's because God designed you to work. He designed you to do things. And when we find ourselves in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, we will also be working. The great thing is that we just won't get tired. So when a man is walking with God and doing what God has called him to, to to work hard, to love, to protect, to selflessly serve his family and his community, humanity will always flourish. When men aren't doing those things, humanity suffers. Now, it's not just Christians that will say that. The secular world will agree too. If you look at sociology and economics, they will say that men need to be present in the home and not just present being there, but physically engaging present in the home for their families and for their community to continue to flourish. When men stop being present in the home and present in their communities, the community starts to decline and the family is left in shambles. Now that's where every Father's Day, you'll see some type of post from some church talking about the church engagement skyrocketing whenever fathers are present and involved. Providence General Baptist Church uh, actually posted this this past week, posted a statistic. Um, I don't know when it was actually done in the study, but it said that when a dad comes to Christ first, 93% of the time the family will follow him. Whereas when a mom comes to Christ first, only 17% of the family will follow. And when the kids come to Christ first, only 3.5% of families will follow. Now, because I don't know how valid or how good those numbers are because there's no sources to their post, nothing against Providence General Baptist Church, they just found a picture. But looked at another source uh, that deals with research on fatherhood in our nation. And in 2019, they did a study that said, When a child is raised in a father-absent home, they have four times greater risk of poverty. They are less or they are more likely to have behavioral problems as an adult. They are more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They are more likely to face abuse and neglect and more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs, just to name a few of the things that they mentioned. Whereas in the same exact study, found that when a father is present and engaged in the home, the children will have a low risk of any of those things happening. And the mother will feel less stress and have a lower risk of falling into depression. The Bible will back this up too. In Psalm 128, it says, blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be a full vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. So men in the room, fathers, husbands, this is a great way to test how well you're leading your home. Asking yourself, are my kids flourishing? Are they living out their God-given purpose? Ask yourself, is my wife flourishing in her God-given purpose? 
Are they doing these things? Because if they are, then you're, you're leading your home well, but if they aren't, then there's something that has to change. Now, real quick, before we move on to the next thing, single mothers, widowed women here watching online, wherever you are, a pastor I listen to often said it this way, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. Meaning, while there is an ideal of a father being in the home for, for a wife and the kids flourishing in the life, when that ideal is lacking, God gives so much grace and he steps in. And if you continue to be faithful to God, God will be faithful to you and be the father to them that they never had. There are so many pastors that I know within General Baptist that grew up in fatherless homes. And they are leading their churches to to great and amazing things because instead of focusing on the fatherlessness that they dealt with, they, they focused on who God was. It was their mother who actually taught them about God. And now they're, they're flourishing in their life because God stepped in and grace abounded. Secondly, in Genesis chapter two, verses 16 through 17, it says, and the Lord commanded to the man, this is before Eve was created, so this is, this is to the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, I think this shows that another uh, design for man is to set the spiritual direction and climate of the household, to be the initiator of setting that spiritual climate and direction for the family. God or Adam received the instruction from the Lord before Eve was even created. Now, based on scripture that we have access to and that we know, Adam had to have been responsible for telling Eve. Why? Because we never see God encountering Eve and saying, hey, this is what I told your husband, Adam, you need to not eat from this particular tree. You can eat from anywhere, but you can't eat from this one. No, it was up to Adam to tell Eve the commands of God. And so us as men are to do the same thing. We are to be the spiritual initiators. We are to set the spiritual climate. Now, this is where Adam failed because in Genesis chapter three, Eve eats of the fruit from the tree and Adam has no indication of trying to stop her or trying to remind her, hey, here, here's the commands of God. I don't think that's a good idea. We probably shouldn't do that. We should put that fruit back. Don't listen to the serpent because the Lord our God said this. We don't see that in Adam. And this is where Adam failed. He stopped trying to, he had no indication of trying to stop her, trying to remind her of God's commands. Instead, what did he do? He waited till she took a bite and then he took a bite. Now, when I was imagining this, uh, you know how I, I am. I sometimes I mention this where I, I like to visualize like in my head what this might've looked like. When Adam heard that when you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Adam probably didn't know that it would be a slow, long, drawn-out death is what God was talking about. But what Adam probably heard was, you will die immediately. You will surely die immediately. He allows Eve to eat the fruit first. 
And when he sees that she doesn't die immediately, he takes a bite himself, starts believing the serpent. Maybe God wasn't telling the truth. Maybe God didn't really say that. And then he takes a bite. Now, you know what this is the equivalent of? Men, have you ever, have you or your wife, if your wife woke you up in this situation, heard a noise in the house and you didn't know what it was? What do you do as a man? Someone tell me. You go and search, okay? No one does this, okay? I guess I'm the only one. (laughs) You go and look, you find out what it is. If you hear a noise of someone walking around in your house and it's in the middle of the night, what do you do? As a man, you go and you go and find because your job as the man is to protect the household. What this is the equivalent of is what Adam does is he hides under the covers, nudges Eve and says, honey, you go check it out. There's a scary noise over there. You go check it out. Now, if you have done that before and you're feeling some shame, keep that shame. Hold on to it. I'm not going to take it away from you because your job is to protect the household. There there was a moment. um, Some of you, if you've known the parsonage over there, there are creaking noises all the time. Now, I typically, I'm used to it now, but uh, when when Chloe and I, we first moved in, uh, we started the dishwasher, which just makes the whole house just feel like it's rattling. But we didn't know that at the time. So all the pipes, you can hear all the water going through. And we started it. We went to bed. We brushed our teeth. We, we laid in bed. And in the middle of the night, the dishwasher stopped, which made the whole house shake. Like, I, I don't know what's wrong with the pipes over there, but it just makes the whole house shake. Or at least that's what it feels like. So whole house shook, and it woke both of us up. And um, I get up to go investigate. And then of course, to, to my knowledge, it was, the, it was the dishwasher. Like there's no one in the house, but I can tell you right now, I'm very, very protective of Chloe. So as a fair warning to anyone who wants to break into our house in the middle of the night, I might not be bigger than you. I might not be stronger than you, but I can shoot just fine. <laughs> because my job is to protect my wife. My job will, uh, once September rolls around, is to protect my wife and my kids. So I go first. That's how God designed it. You go first. The men are on the front lines of this. You're called to protect. You're not called to hide because God designed you for war. When he created you, he knew that there is evil out in the world and he designed you for warfare, for spiritual warfare, to be on the front lines of spiritual warfare for you and your family and your community. Which means if something tragic happens in your family, you should be the first one to pray. Not your wife, not your kids. You should be the first one to pray. If something great happens, you should be the first one to give God praise. You're to initiate devotion time with your family, making sure that your whole family is getting in the word of God. You're to initiate gospel conversations with your kids and in the community. You should be in the word more, praying more, worshiping more than your wife and your kids. This is how God designed you to be on the front lines of spiritual warfare. You should be the one praying on their behalf. You 
should wholeheartedly pursue your wife and your kids with love and grace. Don't settle for the half-hearted, how was your day, and just walking through and, and ignoring everything that they tell you in their long, drawn-out response, but instead press in and actually listen to them, to hear how their day went. You might not want to, but that's one of the wars that we face as men, right? And that sounds hilarious, but it's true, right? As men, part of our brokenness is that we check out we, we aren't always present in the moment. Even though we're there and you're, you're talking to us, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily there. Not that you ladies needed to know that because you probably already knew it. That's part of our brokenness. So as men, you need to work through that spiritual warfare of actually listening to your kids, your wife. Sometimes war is doing devotion after a long day of work and you don't want to because you're tired. You've had a long day at work. It was hard, either physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. You just want to sit on the couch and watch TV. You just want to read a book. You just want to do something else besides go and do devotion. The war is doing devotion in spite of that. The war sometimes is putting your kids to bed when you would rather just have your wife do it or rather just be on the couch because you had a long and hard day. Sometimes the war, ladies, you're going to love me for this, Sometimes the war is not just apologizing to your wife to get her off your back, but instead pressing into what you actually did wrong. Genuinely apologizing and working to be a better husband and a man of God for your wife and for your kids. Now, since I don't have kids yet, right now, sometimes the war for me is doing the dishes, laundry, and other type of household When my wife has gone working in the night, so that she can come to a clean household. Because Chloe's love language is a clean house. And so when she leaves and comes back, she is not experiencing human flourishing. Because when she walks in the door after a long day of work, it's my job to make sure that she comes in and, and she's thrilled to be home. Not she walks in, sees the dirty dishes, sees the mess in the house, and then gets stressed before she goes to bed, all right? That's the war. I would much rather sit on the couch and read a book, right? Because uh, there's no good TV on anymore. But I'd rather sit on the couch, read a book, work for the church, do other things than actually go and do household chores. But that's part of the war. All of that to say this, we are to be a husband and a father worth submitting to. Now, we don't like the word submit because it carries a tone of abuse and power because of how the verses that talk about submission have been used and abused. But hopefully I can redeem it for you a little bit. Christ submits to God's authority. It's not because Christ is less than. If, God, if Christ was less than, then we would be mon, or polytheistic. We wouldn't be monotheistic. We wouldn't believe in one God if Christ was less than God because then he would be a lesser God. That's the heresy. So Christ is not uh, greater than God. God is not greater than Christ. Rather, they are equal, but two different persons in the Trinity. So don't take offense when you hear in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 through 24, this idea of wives submit to yourselves or submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This is not to demean you. We are still created equal, but... We were designed to go to war for you. 
Now, I know this passage has been twisted in the past to manipulate you with the wives and with your husbands because it, it was where boys took this passage, not men, boys took this passage and manipulated it so that they could get women to do what they wanted. But boys often forget to mention the paragraph of verses that follow talking about biblical manhood. Biblical manhood ensures that you as a woman, for the ladies in here, that we as men are seeking your best interest above our own. As a godly man loves his wife and his family, he loves them so much that he works hard to break the ground, to work the ground, to cultivate an environment for you and your kids to grow and to flourish and to live out your purpose. Uh, his love to his wife and his kids he is the same as how he loves himself. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide. He's going to protect. And verse 27 uh, is a really, really big kicker for me. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 says, And present her, meaning his wife, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Meaning, men of God, you are to set the spiritual climate and direction of your family. And if you don't, the God of the universe is going to hold you accountable. He's going to look at you and say, well, you might be following me. And you're going to walk into the kingdom of heaven too. But you failed your family. You failed them by not setting that climate. You failed them by not working hard to make sure that they were drawing close to me. And how do I know that? Because who did God look to first? He looked at Adam. He said, why are you naked? Why are you unclothed? Who, who told you that you were unclothed? Who told you this? He didn't go to Eve and say, what did you do? He went straight to Adam. And then he holds Adam accountable in verses 17 through 19 of Genesis 3. So we are to love our wives, us as men, as Christ loved the church. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I am physically capable of loving my, way, my wife the way that Christ loves me. If you don't realize how high of a standard that is, then you probably need to get rebaptized or something. Because the love that Christ has for you means that he's carrying burdens that you were meant to carry that you probably should be carrying, but he's carrying it for you anyways. He died on the cross and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins so that you could live holy and blameless before God. And if we are to love our wives, men of this church, love our wives to love women in this same way, to love our families in the same way, means that we have to carry things we have to take burdens off of our families and carry them ourselves no matter how heavy it is without complaints, without trying to put it back on our family because we were designed for war. We were designed for spiritual war. Now, I may be young, but I truly believe that you'll benefit from this. Like, I, I know I'm a young man, but, but you're gonna benefit from this. And it's going to be hard to hear, but it's true. You are not worth submitting to unless you first submit to Christ. Unless you first submit to Christ, 
getting on your knees in prayer and fixing your eyes and your hearts on the living word of God, you are not worth submitting to by women. Our sinfulness as men lead us into selfishness to where we wanna take care of ourselves and we don't wanna take care of anyone else. And this is the point of where we fail often. There's a church in Texas, they, they did a sermon series about eight years ago. I came across it. Um, I follow their church quite frequently. And in this three-part series, they actually went on both sides, men and women, but they talked about the sinfulness of man falling under two categories. And I really liked how they explained it. So just real briefly, I'm gonna tell you their two categories and some of the sins that follow under that. The two main ways that men tend to fall under sin is under selfish passivity or selfish aggression. Selfish passivity, sins that would fall under this include, and I'm not listing all of them, but just some of them, refusal to delight in and worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, engaging in fantasy instead of reality, meaning you're trying to live a life of comfort and easiness instead of working hard like you were designed to do. Checking out emotionally and spiritually. Self-pity. Silence when wisdom and encouragement is needed. Silence when confronting sin in your wife, in your kids, or in a friend. And this silence that we're talking about means that we as men are avoiding either conflict, we're avoiding vulnerability, or avoiding work. Excuse making, complaining, disorganization and procrastination, busyness to avoid responsibility. Now, I, I do fall under this, so I'm gonna talk, under, uh, talk about this. Busyness to avoid responsibility. I find it so easy to make myself so busy that I don't have to go to family things, that I, I can have an excuse to get out of uh, doing things for my wife because I'm, I'm busy. Uh, I'm too busy. The church is, is making me too busy. This is sinfulness. This is brokenness. I don't always fall under that, but I'm heavily tempted in that area. So busyness to avoid responsibility. Being lazy in work, service, or ministry under this. They even talked about not waking up to your alarm, not getting up when your alarm goes off. That's me too. Not being excited about the things of God and not being appalled by the sinfulness of humanity. This is selfish passivity. Not being who you were created to be. Selfish aggression is the next category. And this means you're being over the top. You're, you're, you're like where passivity is over on this side and you're not doing enough. Aggression is you're doing way too much and power and authority has gotten to your head. You've misinterpreted scripture in that way. So sins that fall under selfish aggression include pornography, adultery, abandonment, any type of abuse, thoughtless criticism and correction, nitpicking, vocalized displeasure to get someone else to do what you want them to do, withholding affection and attention when someone fails. This is like the silent treatment using money, power, and other things to hold control over others, 
mocking and demeaning others to exalt ourselves, even if it's come across as a joke. Harming others, reputation to get ahead of them, viled anger disguised as sarcasm. This is when you're being sarcastic, but you're not really being sarcastic. These are just to name a few. Now, before we end our talk today, I know I'm going a little bit longer than what I planned. I do wanna encourage you as men, you are doing your best. It doesn't mean that you can't improve. This is all that this is meant to do is help you see that you can improve as a man of God. But I do wanna encourage you. Here's the good news. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, 13 through 14, but everything exposed by the light become visible. Everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When you submit to Christ, as a man, he will shine his light on your darkness, and you're gonna have to walk through that darkness and figure out the root cause of that darkness. But when he shines that light on your darkness, your darkness will be transformed into light. So don't think that you're hopeless now. If you are feeling humbled, if you're feeling a little bit convicted from your brokenness as a man, know that God is there to help you, to transform you, that even though we will fail as men very often, God is still there and he still calls us his sons and he still looks at you and said, I'm proud of you. For you, I am well pleased because if you're submitting to Christ, then you look like Christ and he is pleased with his son. So he is also pleased with you. So lean on him. Get into the word of God as often as you can. Fight on your hands and knees for your family, for your wife, for your community every single day because they are counting on you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And when the devil flees, Christ will make your darkness more visible and he will transform it into light. And I promise you this, when you submit to Christ, when you're in the word, when you're praying often for, you, for yourself, but also for your family, when you're fighting the battles that your family is never meant to face because you're the man, God will transform you into a better father, a better husband, and into a better man of God.